Order, order. Before we come to the Prime Minister's questions, I want to express on behalf of the whole House our deep sadness at the death of Captain Sir Tom Moore. His dignity and determination in raising money to support the NHS charities caught the nation's mood at the most difficult time. He exemplified the best of our values. I know the whole House will want to join me in sending our condolences to his family and his many friends. I invite members to, to now join me for a minute's silence to commemorate Sir Tom's life and to pay our respects to those who have lost their lives as a result of the COVID and their families and friends. Order. We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I will first call the Prime Minister to answer the engagements question. I will then call Claire Anna to ask her supplementary. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Captain Sir Tom Moore, or Captain Tom as we all came to know him, dedicated his life to serving his country and others. His was a long life, lived well whether during his time defending our nation as an army officer and last year bringing the country together through his incredible fundraising drive for the NHS that gave millions a chance to thank the extraordinary men and women of our NHS who protected us in this pandemic. As Captain Tom repeatedly reminded us, please remember tomorrow will be a good day. He inspired the very best in us all and his legacy will continue to do so for generations to come. Mr Speaker, we now all have the opportunity to show our appreciation for him and all that he stood for and believed in. That's why I encourage everyone to join in a national clap for Captain Tom and all those health workers for whom he raised money at 6pm this evening. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Let's head over to Northern Ireland with Claire Hanna. Claire Hanna. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and certainly echo those words about Captain Tom, a decent and inspiring man. The SDLP warned for the last five years about the destabilising impact Brexit would have on Northern Ireland, though we take no pleasure uh, in the disruption nor in the injury some feel uh, to their British identity. The last few days have seen a rash and thankfully withdrawn decision by the European Commission, which was condemned by all parties here and both governments and unfortunately followed by sporadic 
criminal behavior and threats? Will the Prime Minister, in, in affirming the rule of law in Northern Ireland, to consider seriously the impact of their words and work together through the available structures to ensure that the new arrangements work for everybody in Northern Ireland? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I certainly agree with the Honourable Lady that it was most regrettable that the uh, EU uh, should seem to cast doubt on the uh, Good Friday Agreement, the principles of the, of the peace process, uh, by uh, seeming to call for a, a border across uh, the island of Ireland. I can tell her uh, that we will work to ensure that there are uh, no such borders. We will respect the uh, peace process and indeed uh, no uh, barriers down the Irish Sea, and that the principle of unfettered access across all parts of our United Kingdom is upheld. Theresa May. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I join the whole House in paying tribute to Captain Sir Tom Moore, who was indeed an inspiration to all of us and a beacon of light at a time of darkness and a true gentleman. I'm sure my right honourable friend is aware that my 10 minute rule bill would increase the maximum penalty for death by dangerous driving to life imprisonment. The policy and the bill have cross-party support. The policy has government support, the bill does not. The government says it will introduce the policy in its sentencing bill, of which we have seen as yet no sign. So will the government now give government time to my bill to ensure this necessary change is put on the statute book as soon as possible. Prime Minister. Well, I, I'm very grateful to my right honourable friend and uh, she's absolutely right to campaign for punishments that uh, fit the crime and we're therefore bringing forward exactly those changes, uh, Mr Speaker, and uh, in our forthcoming uh, sentencing bill and our proposals, I believe, uh, will go as far, if not even further, than those that she wants by raising the maximum penalty uh, for causing death by careless driving when under the influence of drugs uh, or alcohol, and they will tighten the law for those who cause serious injury by careless driving. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join you and the Prime Minister in sending my condolences to the family of Captain Sir Tom Moore? Um, he, perhaps more than anyone, um, embodied the spirit of Britain, and he will be sadly missed. And I welcome the initiative that the Prime Minister spoke of, of a clap um, this evening. Mr Speaker, our thoughts are also with the family of Maureen Colquhoun, the first openly lesbian MP and a great champion of women's rights. Mr Speaker, let me pay tribute to our NHS and all of those on the front line who are delivering the vaccine. Today, we're likely to hit 10 million vaccinations which is remarkable. The biggest risk to the vaccine programme at the moment is the arrival of new variants, such as the South African variant. On that issue, the government's own scientist, Sage, said two weeks ago, and I quote, only a complete preemptive closure of borders or the mandatory quarantine of all visitors upon arrival can get close to fully preventing new cases or new variants. So pretty clear. So why did the Prime Minister choose not to do the one thing that Sage said could prevent new variants coming to the United Kingdom? Prime Minister. Uh, well, actually, Mr Speaker, Sage did not 
recommend a uh, complete ban. And uh, they say that uh, uh, travel bans should not be relied upon to stop importation of new variants. But we do have, Mr Speaker, one of the toughest regimes uh, in the world. And uh, anybody uh, coming from South Africa uh, not only has to uh, do a test before they, they come here, uh, but uh, anybody coming from South Africa now, a British citizen returning from South Africa now, uh, will find themselves obliged uh, to go into uh, quarantine uh, for 10 days uh, and uh, they will have a, uh, an isolation uh, assurance agency checking up on them. And it is illegal now. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, to go uh, to, on holiday in this country. It is illegal uh, to travel uh, from uh, South Africa or all the countries on uh, the current red list. And we are, will be going for, for, forward, Mr. Speaker, with a plan to ensure that people coming uh, into this country uh, from those uh, red list countries immediately have to go into government mandated uh, quarantine uh, hospitality. Mr. Speaker, I'm intrigued by the Prime Minister's answer. I don't think he disputes what Stage's view was that only a complete closure or comprehensive quarantine of all arrivals will work. He doesn't seem to dispute that. He says it simply wasn't a recommendation. I would ask the Prime Minister to publish the full Sage minutes so that we can see what was said in full, or if there's some other advice, perhaps publish that. Because the situation is this. We know the South African variant is spreading across England, and measures are in place to try to deal with that. We also know that other variants are out there in other parts of the world. So is the Prime Minister really saying, just as a matter of common sense, is he saying that quarantining all arrivals would make no difference to fighting new variants of the virus? Or is he saying that quarantining all arrivals at the border would make a difference, but it's too difficult to do it? Mr. Speaker, this is the right honourable gentleman who uh, only recently said that quarantine measures uh, were a blunt instrument, and whose shadow transport secretary uh, said that quarantine uh, should be lessened. We have one of the toughest uh, regimes uh, in the in the world, and I think he, when he calls for uh, a complete closure of, of borders or, or, or suggests that that might be an option, Mr. Speaker, he should be aware. Uh, that 75% of our medicines come into this country uh, from uh, the European continent, 45% uh, of our food, uh, 250,000 businesses in this country uh, rely on, on imports. It is not practical uh, completely to close off this country, as he uh, seems to be suggesting. Uh, what is practical to do is have one of the toughest regimes in the world uh, and to get on with vaccinating the people of, the country, of this country, which is what we are doing, Mr Speaker. Yes, Mr Speaker, what he says about the Labour position is complete nonsense. He knows it. It's the 3rd of February 2021. We've new variants in the country. Our schools are shut and our borders are open. Everybody knows there are exceptions, uh, whatever the quarantine re re regime. Everybody knows that. And that's not what this question is about. The position is this. 21,000 people are coming into this country every day. The Prime Minister's new border arrangements are still weeks away from being implemented and will only affect direct flights from some countries. We know from the first wave of the pandemic that only 0.1% of virus cases came from China, where we had restrictions, whereas 62% came indirectly from France and Spain, where there were no restrictions. Why does the Prime Minister think that the variants of the virus will behave differently and only arrive in the UK by direct flights. 
Minister. Mr Speaker, he, he can't have it both ways. Uh, he simultaneously says that he wants the borders to be kept open uh, for freight reasons or for, to allow businesses to, to carry on. As I think that, that was what uh, uh, he, was, uh, he was saying, uh, whilst calling for, for tougher quarantine measures, which is exactly what this government uh, imposed as soon as we became aware of the, of the new variant, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, the, we, as I repeat what, the, what you have to do. If you want to come into this country uh, from abroad, uh, you have to... 72 hours before you fly, uh, you have to get a test, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, you have to have a passenger locator form. You're kicked off the plane if you don't have it. You then have to spend 10 days, uh, Mr. Speaker, in uh, quarantine. If you come from one of the uh, one of the readiest countries, Mr. Speaker, you have to go straight uh, into quarantine. And uh, all, all of this, of course, is to allow us to get on with the vaccination programme. And if it had listened to the right honourable gentleman, Mr. Speaker, we would still be at the starting blocks because he wanted to stay in the European medicine. Agency, Mr. Speaker, and said so four times from that dispatch box. Nonsense. Don't let the truth get in the way of a pre prepared gag. Mr. Speaker, the, 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 uh, the Prime Minister knows I've never said that uh, from this dispatch box or anywhere else, but uh, the truth uh, escapes him. Mr. Speaker, he describes the current arrangements. If they were working, if they were working the variant wouldn't be in the country, the single biggest threat to the vaccine system. Mr Speaker, let me turn to another area where the government has been slow to act, the cladding crisis. This is affecting millions of people, and I can't tell the Prime Minister how anxious and angry people feel about this. It's now three and a half years since the Grenfell tragedy, which took 72 lives. So can the Prime Minister tell the House and the country why, three and a half years on, are there still hundreds of thousands of people living in homes with unsafe cladding, three and a half years on, and why are millions of leaseholders in homes that they can't sell and facing extortionate costs? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, in respect of the Honourable Gentleman's last answer, may I advise him to consult YouTube? Uh, where he will find an answer. Uh, but uh, on, he, may, he raises a very important point about, uh, about cladding and uh, the predicament of, uh, of some leaseholders, of many leaseholders. And uh, he's absolutely right, Mr. Speaker. This is a problem that uh, needs to be fixed. Uh, this government is, is getting on with it. Uh, 95% of the high rise buildings with uh, unsafe ACM cladding uh, have uh, been, uh, work is either underway, they are either complete or underway to remove that cladding, Mr Speaker. I, I very much appreciate and sympathise with the predicament of uh, leaseholders who are in that uh, situation, but we are working to clear uh, the backlog, and I can tell him that the, my run friend, the Chancellor and the Community Secretary will be coming forward with a full package to address the issue. Mr Speaker, whatever the Prime Minister claims being done isn't working, because this is the situation through no fault of their own, huge numbers of people, especially leaseholders, are stuck in the middle. They are living in unsafe homes. They can't sell, and they're being asked to foot the bill. That's the situation that they are in. Take, for example, Will Martin. He's a doctor who's got a flat in Sheffield. He's been spending his days on the front line fighting COVID in the NHS. He spends his nights worrying about the £52,000 bill that he now has to pay for fire safety repairs. He doesn't want future promises, Prime Minister. He doesn't want to hear that it's all been sorted when he knows that it hasn't. He wants to know, here and now, will he or will he not have to pay that £52,000 bill? 
Mr Speaker, were determined that no leaseholder should have to pay uh, for the uh, unaffordable costs of fixing safety defects that uh, they didn't cause and uh, uh, no fault of their own. And that's why, in addition to the £1.6 billion we're putting in uh, to remove the, uh, the ACM uh, and the UPL cladding, uh, we are also uh, setting up and uh, have set up a £1 billion pound a building safety fund, which has already uh, processed uh, over uh, almost 3,000 claims, and I, I sympathise very much with the uh, the gentleman uh, that he, Mr. Uh, Dr. Martin, that, that he, uh, he he mentions, and I hope very much that his particular case can be addressed in the course of the forthcoming uh, package that will be produced by my right honourable friends. Kirsten. There are thousands and thousands of people in exactly the same position. I spoke to leaseholders caught in the middle of this on Monday. One of them was Haley. She's already gone bankrupt, Mr Prime Minister. She's 27. She bought a flat, she's lost it, she's now bankrupt. It's too late for her. Those leaseholders that I spoke to had three very simple asks. This is what they want. Immediate upfront funding for unsafe blocks. A deadline of next year to make buildings safe and protection for leaseholders. We put those forward for a vote on Monday. The Prime Minister says he's determined to do something about it. What did he do? He ordered his MPs to abstain. If the Prime Minister is serious about moving this forward and ending this injustice, will he commit today to those simple asks from leaseholders? Mr Speaker, we're getting on with uh, the job of helping leaseholders across the country by remediating their, their buildings. And in addition to the funds I've already mentioned, I can tell him uh, that we're also in, uh, introducing a, a £30 million fund to install uh, alarms and other interim measures. And we're making it very clear uh, to the mortgage industry that they should be supporting uh, people uh, living in such, uh, in such accommodation and uh, that uh, the uh, and to make it clear to, to all sectors of the industry that uh, people living in such homes uh, should not uh, be tied up in the whole UZ, uh, EWS1 uh, process. And, and that will benefit about 450,000 uh, homeowners, Mr Speaker. I, I think he's right uh, to raise the problem, but we're getting on with addressing it, Mr Speaker. And we're getting on with addressing the fundamental problem that afflicts this country, and that is the COVID pandemic. And that's why I'm pleased that we've now done 10 million uh, vaccines, uh, first uh, vaccinations across the country. Uh, and I, I repeat, Mr Speaker, uh, had we listened to the right honourable gentleman, uh, we, were, we would be stuck uh, at, at go, because uh, he's, he's shaking his head, but he can check the record uh, several times. He said that this country should remain in the European Medicines Agency. And if he wishes to, uh, to on a point of order, to correct me, because he said it, he said it was wrong uh, just now, uh, I think he should study the record and he'll find that is exactly uh, what he did. Uh, we want to get this country uh, safe again. We want schools uh, to come back. Mr Speaker, uh, he continues to refuse to say that schools uh, aren't safe, uh, Mr Speaker. And in, in, on the contrary, he spends his time looking at, uh, looking at Labour uh, focus groups uh, who, tell him, uh, who tell him that he should stop uh, sitting on the fence. And the can Prime I, Minister, uh, Mr Speaker, can I... No, no, Prime Minister, just in fairness, I think We've got to be somewhere near the question that was asked, and I don't want you to go around the world answering every problem and issue. There's a lot more questions who's going to allow you to do that, and the first one's coming, Marco Longhi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And may I join the Prime Minister with his moving words towards um, Captain Sir Tom Moore, who was an inspiration to each and every one of us in this country and beyond, may I say. Mr Speaker, the Priory, Bo Priory Boxing Club in uh, Dudley has produced many champions, including Ryan Aston, who became champion five times in this country.
May I ask the Prime Minister to join me in paying tribute to Paul Goff at the club, who is working with uh, young boys and girls who are often out of, uh, who have been excluded from mainstream education. And may I ask him also to pay tribute to the council leader, Patrick Harley, who has agreed and is supporting a new school in partnership with the club to ensure that these young people are actually going to be getting academic qualifications as well increased self-belief and new opportunities for the future. Um, Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for raising this excellent club and I'm uh, happy to join my honourable friend in paying tribute to the work of Paul Goff and Patrick Harley, everybody at that uh, Priory uh, Boxing Club. And, and I know from, uh, from personal experience what a huge difference it can make, uh, not just to uh, young people's fitness, but also to their educational success uh, to attend boxing clubs, Mr Speaker. Let's head up to the leader of the SNP in Sky and Lock Arbour, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I associate myself with your remarks about the remarkable gentleman, Captain Sir Tom Moore, everything that he's done. He has been an inspiration to each and every one of us. And I would like to send my condolences to his family and friends. Mm -hmm. Mr. Speaker, last week, we told the Prime Minister it was wrong for him to visit Scotland in the middle of a pandemic. We told him it was a non-essential visit. Mr. Speaker, this morning, the Daily Record newspaper revealed that the Prime Minister knew that the Livingston plant that he was visiting had an outbreak of 14 COVID cases just 24 hours earlier. There are serious questions to answer. Did the Prime Minister and his advisers know about the COVID outbreak? When did they know? And when did the Prime Minister make the irresponsible decision to go ahead with what was a PR stunt? Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I can think of a few things more important than to uh, see the rollout of the vaccination programme across this country, to encourage the wonderful companies who are uh, doing great work across the whole uh, of Scotland, to see the, uh, the, the commitment of those uh, Scottish scientists uh, to helping us all to defeat the, the, the pandemic. And it was, fa it was fantastic to talk to them, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, I would just repeat that uh, the, EU, uh, the government remains, uh, as, as I said yesterday, very willing to help uh, Scotland with the, uh, with the rollout of uh, vaccines uh, across, uh, the whole of the, uh, of the, uh, across the whole of the UK. Returning to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. And there is the wow factor once again with the Prime Minister. What an absolute shambles that he's gone to a plant where there was a COVID outbreak. And the Prime Minister can't just explain away this absolutely shocking error of judgment. Anyone can see that his campaign trip to Scotland was utterly, utterly reckless. The Daily Record story is very clear. The Prime Minister and his advisers knew there was a serious COVID outbreak at this plant. They knew the visit posed a risk, but they made a deliberate choice. They made the irresponsible choice. The Prime Minister put politics before public health. Prime Minister, why be so reckless? Is it any wonder that people in Scotland have no faith in this Prime Minister? Isn't he the worst possible leader at the worst possible time. Prime uh, Mr Speaker, I think what the people of Scotland want to see is the whole country 
uh, pulling together and working uh, to develop the vaccine as that fantastic plant in Scotland uh, is doing. Uh, one of the advantages of the Valneva uh, vaccine is that it may be able to uh, combat all sorts of uh, variants in a very uh, comprehensive way. It's amazing, wonderful to see uh, Scottish scientists working uh, to do that. I had a fantastic time. Uh, uh, nobody, by the way, raised that issue with me uh, before uh, or since. And it, and it is my job, Mr Speaker, to visit every part of this country. Nothing and no one, Mr Speaker, is going to, is going to stop me. And I am very, very proud of the record of the government in rolling out the vaccine. As I say, uh, the offer it remains open to the Scottish Nationalist Party, uh, where there, the National Party, uh, if they insist, uh, though they are also Nationalists, Mr Speaker, uh, where there to, uh, to help uh, the rollout of the vaccine, uh, if uh, do more uh, where, that, uh, where they do decide that is necessary, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Closing the attainment gap has always been at the heart of our education policy, and yet we know that the pandemic is having a devastating effect on our children's education. I welcome the Prime Minister's commitment to prioritise the opening of our schools. Would he also agree with me that we must put the catch-up of children's missed education at the centre of our recovery programme? Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. That's the single most. Uh, I think of all the challenges now facing the country, it is uh, remedying the, the damage to children's education. Uh, yes, of course, we've got to clear up the backlog in the NHS. Uh, we, have, we have problems in the courts, but it is, it is education that is going to be the focus of this government, uh, Mr Speaker, and repairing uh, the differential learning that's taken place during the crisis. Let's head to Northern Ireland with Stephen Furry. Stephen Furry. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. We need to be open and honest on the reasons why the Northern Ireland Protocol exists, but do all we can to make its implementation as easy as possible. So in that spirit, in the talks with the EU that will take place over the coming days, will the Prime Minister make it a priority to seek a UK-EU veterinary agreement, which would help both with respect to the Northern Ireland Protocol, but also all UK food exporters? Mr. Speaker, I'm very grateful to the honourable gentleman, and uh, we do think that it is very important that the uh, the uh, protocol should not place uh, unnecessary uh, barriers or barriers of any kind uh, down uh, the Irish Sea. It was, as I said uh, uh, to a colleague earlier, I think it was most unfortunate that the EU seemed to uh, want to impose a barrier across the island of Ireland. We seek uh, to make sure there are no such barriers, Mr. Speaker, down the Irish Sea. I said to Gloucestershire with Lawrence Robertson. Lawrence Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Some of my constituents had their Christmases ruined because the heavy rainfall and local inappropriate development caused foul water to enter their homes, causing them great difficulties. So will the Prime Minister appoint a statutory body with the specific and undeniable responsibility of ensuring that no developments can automatically tap into existing drainage systems and that before developments begin, a full assessment of may is made of the local drainage capacity. And if that capacity would be inadequate, that the development does not begin until the infrastructure is upgraded. Prime Minister. Well, I will study the very interesting proposals that my honourable friend uh, makes, but uh, in, the, in the meantime, I will raise them uh, particularly with the Environment Agency, who I think do a, a fantastic job 
uh, in managing uh, local areas that are prone to, uh, to flooding, to putting in the, the necessary defences. And I know that our colleagues across the House will have seen the work of the uh, Environment Agency across the country, and we're making another £5.2 billion uh, investment uh, into additional uh, flood defences, which I know will benefit uh, his constituents in Gloucestershire uh, and across the country. Sorry, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister was not born in this country. My parents were not born in this country. I was, but we are all British. There are, however, hundreds of thousands of children, including in my constituency in Streatham, who, like us, born or raised here, are entitled to citizenship but priced out by a £1,012 fee. Without it, they face Barrister University, work, healthcare, renting a home or opening a bank account. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it's wrong that the government makes 60% profit on these applications? And will he take steps to reduce or even end citizenship fees for children? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I, I think that uh, British citizenship is a, a wonderful thing and it's fantastic that uh, so many uh, EU nationals have uh, taken up the opportunity uh, to become British in the course of the, uh, of the last few years. I'm, I'm interested in the point that uh, the Honourable Lady uh, makes. I will, uh, I will study it, uh, but, but clearly there are costs uh, that would, must be borne uh, by the taxpayer, and I think that she will appreciate that citizenship uh, at any time of life is a very considerable prize and uh, worth investing in. Green. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the police have been one of our public services have been absolutely essential during the pandemic. So will my right honourable friend join me uh, in welcoming the fact that the uh, Kent Police and Crime Commissioner, Matthew Scott, has announced another 145 police officers uh, during this year, bringing to the total of 800 extra police we have on the streets of Kent. And most importantly, that this has been accompanied by a reduction of 17,000 in the crime numbers in Kent this year. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I thank my right honourable friend who is a, a long-standing and redoubtable campaigner for law and order and for uh, the police, and I also congratulate Crime, uh, Crime Commissioner Matthew, uh, police and Crime Commissioner Matthew Scott uh, for what he's doing to back the police and uh, to recruit more police in Kent, and that's why uh, we are uh, putting another 20,000 more officers on the streets of this country, and I think we've already recruited uh, about 6,000, Mr Speaker. Let's head up to the northeast with Julie Elliott. Julie Elliott. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, the government responded to concerns from our care workers by stating, "We're immensely proud of all our care workers do." This is a sentiment we all share. Yet, in the very same statement, the government sought to pass the book for the way our care workers have been treated by saying the vast majority of care workers are employed by private providers and that the government does not set levels of pay for care workers. Why won't this government commit to ensuring our care workers are paid a wage they can live on? Uh, Mr Speaker, this government is proud of uh, not only setting up the national living wage, uh, but making sure that we had uh, record-breaking increases both last, last year and uh, this year. And that is uh, the most important thing we can do for, for care workers and, and workers across the country. I said up to see Joy Morrissey. Joy Morrissey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And may I thank the Prime Minister for prioritising schools during this pandemic. And um, will the Prime Minister confirm that this remains the case? And on Children's Mental Health Week, 
will the Prime Minister work with parents and frontline children's charities to minimize the disruption to children and to their mental health caused by this pandemic? Prime Minister. I'm grateful to my honourable friend for what she does to champion this very, very important cause. And uh, it is Children's Mental Health Week this week. And uh, in, partly in recognition of the uh, of the extent of the uh, problem and the issue across the whole of the country, we've uh, announced a new youth mental health ambassador uh, who's going to be working with the government, uh, Dr Alex George, will be working with the government to, uh, to underline the importance uh, of mental health resilience, Mr Speaker, and making everybody in our country better able to deal with some of the problems that life throws in our way. And to Northern Ireland with Ian Paisley. Ian Paisley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And may I too express condolences to the family of Captain Sir Tom Moore, an inspirational and wonderful gentleman. Prime Minister, you say that your commitment to Northern Ireland is unshakable. Well, I speak for all of my constituents today when I tell you that the protocol has betrayed us and has made us feel like foreigners in our own country. Tea and sympathy will not cut the mustard. So what is the Prime Minister actually going to do when you realise, when the Prime Minister realises that the EU will do nothing to help Northern Ireland? Will the Prime Minister use all of the instruments at his disposal? Will he use, if necessary, his parliamentary majority? Will he legislate, if necessary, to remove the impediments to trade in Northern Ireland? And will he be a man of his word? and allow businessmen in my constituency to bin the unnecessary documentation that he told us we could bin. Prime Minister, be the unionist we need you to be. Uh, I uh, utterly share the uh, frustration of the uh, uh, honourable gentleman about uh, the way the EU in particular, uh, the EU Commission, uh, temporarily seemed to uh, call for you to use the protocol in such a way as to uh, impose about a border uh, a contrary to the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement, contrary to the letter of the Good Friday Agreement. And uh, we will do everything we need to do, Mr Speaker, uh, whether legislatively or indeed by invoking Article 16 of the Protocol, uh, Mr Speaker, to ensure that there is no barrier uh, down the Irish Sea and uh, the Honourable Gentleman's uh, business constituents, some of whom I know very well and admire very much, uh, can continue uh, to do business unfettered uh, between uh, Northern Ireland and the rest of this country. Speaker, may I congratulate my right honourable friend on his calm handling of the European Commission's misbehaviour over vaccines in Northern Ireland. Nevertheless, we can learn something from our European friends. Andalusia, a Spanish province of 8 million people, had a Covid death rate of about 190 deaths per million in November, higher than ours at the time. After giving activated vitamin D, calcifediol, to care home residents and some GP patients, that death rate almost halved, whilst ours was doubling. Uh, can he ask his advisers to look urgently again at the very latest Spanish research about this cheap, safe and apparently effective treatment? I'm very grateful to my right honourable friend and uh, we will continue to monitor all the evidence about the efficacy of, uh, uh, of vitamin D and the treatment that he, uh, that he uh, he mentions, uh, well, I'm well aware of it, and indeed we've discussed it uh, before personally, uh, Mr Speaker, and I'll keep him updated on the review that's currently taking place. Let's head up to the North West with Rosie Cooper. Rosie Cooper. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. 
Scammersdale residents believe that they are an island of forgotten people. It's a 60s new town with very poor public transport and one of the lowest levels of car and vehicle ownership. For many, the only means of getting to doctors, schools, shops or visiting loved ones is via is through 87 underpasses, many of which flood every time there's rain. Will the Prime Minister ask his officials to work with Lancashire County Council to find and fund a permanent, and I do mean a permanent solution, which doesn't involve providing canoes? Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Uh, well, uh, I, I appreciate the... Uh, desire of the uh, honourable lady to I am aware of the problem that she re, she refers to in the in the flooding in the underground in, in the in the in the tunnels uh, we will certainly work with uh, Lancashire County Council uh, to uh, mitigate the uh, the problem to sort it out uh, but uh, we are and, and just to repeat we have the funds available and we'll make sure that it's done Mr Speaker Jenkinson thank you Mr Speaker we were delighted to hear that Maryport in my constituency of Workington was successful in our bid for a future High Streets Fund, one of my right honourable friend's 50 additional towns announced last August, and a bid I led when I was Deputy Leader of Allerdale Borough Council. We're hoping too for a positive outcome to our Towns Fund bid for Workington. Can I take this opportunity to thank my right honourable friend for all he's doing for my constituents and levelling up across the United Kingdom, and invite him, as soon as he is able, to visit my constituency to see for himself its potential. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to thank my honourable friend, who is a fantastic advocate of the people of Workington, yeah. and uh, never fails, Mr. Speaker, to, uh, to uh, put their interests before me. And I will do everything I can to help him, and I will check my diary commitments to see uh, when uh, I can get there. And I hope it will be as soon as possible. That said, to Wales with Hull Williams. Hull Williams. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, delivery of important letters, packets, and parcels in the Carnarvon area have been delayed for days and weeks by a Covid outbreak amongst local postal workers. The Prime Minister will, I'm sure, join me in wishing my constituents a speedy recovery. But what is his government doing during this health crisis to make sure that the once world-beating but by now privatised Royal Mail is sufficiently robust to fulfil its duty to the public, particularly in rural areas? Mr Speaker, the most important thing we can do, and I, I, I pass on my sympathies to all those affected by the outbreak of, uh, of COVID that he describes, uh, I think the most important thing we can do is continue to roll out uh, the vaccination uh, programme and we want to get uh, key workers such as postal workers as fast as we possibly can. Uh, we're already at uh, 10 million across the whole country. We've got to get down the JCVI groups one to nine, uh, Mr Speaker, the most vulnerable groups. But postal workers, so postal workers over 50 uh, will certainly be included in that uh, uh, in that group, uh, but uh, but after that we want to get out down to all uh, all key workers who come into regular contact uh, with others and who may be exposed uh, to the virus, Mr. Speaker. Kemp with Tracy Crouch. Tracy, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that the second wave of coronavirus has had a sec significant impact on the mental well-being of frontline nurses and doctors, with many in critical care units facing continuous shifts with dismal survival rates, causing a level of psychological harm that may result in PTSD. With this in mind, will he look at utilising the military understanding of this condition and urgently invest in training sufficient numbers of psychology professionals to support our heroic nurses and doctors fighting on the front line of this battle against COVID-19? Prime Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend raises an extremely uh, important point about uh, PTSD uh, in the NHS and NHS staff who do an, an amazing uh, job uh, treating uh, us all. And uh, I will certainly look at uh, the particular uh, recommendation that she, uh, she now makes, but, uh, but clearly we're, uh, as part of the £52 billion package of investment uh, that we're making uh, in, the, in the last year into the, uh, into the NHS, uh, we will be making sure that we support uh, staff working on the front line, their mental health, and making sure that they have uh, all the health and wellbeing uh, helplines that they need, all the advice and counselling that they need to get through what has been, for, for all of them, a really, really difficult time. Let's head up to Lanark with Angela Crawley. Angela Crawley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Scottish Government announced that they would go further than the Prime Minister and introduce a comprehensive system of supervised quarantine for those entering the country. It is evidently clear that countries that have employed an effective international quarantine measure are now reaping the rewards of reopening their economies and reducing the unnecessary loss of life faced with the overwhelming evidence that importing new cases and variants could undermine our efforts again, why is the Prime Minister watching, waiting and hoping for the best when we know that his dithering on crucial decisions has already had catastrophic consequences? Sure. Uh, Mr Speaker, I don't think anybody uh, wants to take any lectures on, uh, on, on speed of, of rollout or delivery of programmes from the Scottish Nationalist uh, Party. Uh, but I, 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 want you, I want her to know that the government uh, will be very, very happy to help with uh, accelerating the, uh, the rollout of the vaccine programme, uh, as we said uh, yesterday, and, I, and the offer uh, is there. And uh, vaccination of the people of this country is the single most important thing we need to do now together to beat this pandemic. Let's head to Hertfordshire with Stephen McPartland. Stephen McPartland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Millions of leaseholders are living in fear because they have no idea how safe their buildings are and they're also facing staggering bills which they cannot afford. Can the Prime Minister assure me that leaseholders will not have to pay to fix these historic fire safety defects and also rule out loans to leaseholders which are not a solution? Yes, Mr Speaker, as I, as I, as I said uh, earlier on, we're absolutely clear that leaseholders should not have to worry about the cost of fixing historic safety defects uh, that they didn't cause, but I appreciate uh, the sympathy and care with which he represents their interests. We're now heading to Stephen Timms. Stephen Timms. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's been estimated that 40,000 people were scammed out of their pensions in the five years after the pension freedoms took effect in 2015. Attractive deals on Google or Facebook turn out all too often to be a fraud. So will the Prime Minister ensure that the planned online harms bill tackles online financial harms in order to address this very serious problem? He makes an excellent point, Mr Speaker, about online fraud. Uh, it is uh, becoming an increasing uh, concern of the government and I think of people across the country. People must be vigilant. Uh, we will look at what we can do, uh, as he suggests, with the online uh, harms bill or any other uh, measures uh, to protect people, particularly pensioners, against uh, fraudsters online. And don't forget, the Prime Minister is asking the countries to get together and clap at six o'clock. I'm now suspending the House for three minutes to enable... No, they can't come now. I'm just going to... Point of order, is it related to yes. Prime... Uh, Mr Speaker, if it, if it assists the House 
perhaps I could help to correct the record. On the 31st of January 2017, the Right Honourable Gentleman opposite told the House, as recorded in Hansard, why would we want to be outside the European Medicines Agency, which ensures that all medicines in the, Europe, in the EU market are safe and effective? Order, order. We're not continuing the debate. That correction in your, as it will be on the record, but I'm not reopening a debate. I am suspending the House for three minutes to enable the necessary arrangements for the next business to be made. Order.